Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Parshat Metzorah, as you can kind of probably guess from the name, we are still talking about Sara'at, once again, usually translated as leprosy, most conveniently so, but as we are going to see uh, in the verses that we are going to get into this morning, uh, there's something slightly different than your standard issue leprosy going on. Um, the choices, by the way, either, uh, this, is, this is really just uh, a choice that's too wonderful to possibly find a way to navigate. We could either have found ways to keep talking about leprosy um, or various uh, discharges from from genitals this morning. So it it was a really tough call to try to figure out what to discuss. Uh, Rabbi Schatz was really pushing for the latter, but I guided us to the former. Yes, the discharge from the genitals is definitely definitely what I want to talk about this morning. You can't always get what you want. Okay, so we are having a great morning. And we are just going to sort of pick up uh, at the beginning of the Parsha. A very good place to start. Yeah. And we're not going to get into too much. It's a, it's a long <laughs> chapter uh, talking about essentially how, what, what a person should do if and when they have Tzara'at, when, when they are found to be leprous. Um, so we start off first with a person, right? This is the ritual for that leper. As we were discussing last week, it sort of runs through the, the Kohen. It, it doesn't run through like a medical doctor, as we were exploring in depth last week. It goes through the Kohen. The Kohen sees, right? This is now how, now how he comes back into the camp. So once he, once he is healed, there is a sacrifice that, that uh, is offered. This is very much in the spirit of Leviticus writ large. Um, it gets a little bloody. Um, he has to wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe in water. So like sort of a full stripping down of what has been to, to finish that off. Um, and then after that has been done, he takes that offering, he makes it, um, the priest is involved. Um, and then do we, I think we talked about the blood last, did we talk about the blood last year? I feel like we talked about this, right? The blood on the ear. <laughs> Elon, Elon. Oh, yeah, 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 I think we did. Yeah, I think you're right. on, yeah. blood on the ear. Um, yeah. Sorry to disappoint everyone. Uh, I don't think we're talking about blood on the ear, but there's this very involved ritual, essentially, in order for this person to be able to re-enter the camp. Um, we're not going to get too much into that. I'll just briefly flag verse 21 is interesting, um, just in, in terms of recognizing that not everyone has the same means. Um, that if a person is less well off, if a person is poor and he's not able to, uh, like, quote unquote, afford what the standard sacrifice is, um, then there's another way of navigating that. So I, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, there's there's a recognition that not everyone has um, the, the same sacrificial bank account, as it were. So that's just sort of an interesting sub note. And after that's done, um, he's able he's able to go back into the camp. Rabbi Schatz, any anything you want to specifically call out here is that sufficient no i think i think it's sufficient for this very thrilling parsha um great so we're now going to get into um more of the bit that we're going to talk about today which is your leprous house hopefully none of you um 
So I'm sort of picking up this more in-depth piece starting in verse 34 of chapter 14. Um, when you enter Canaan, that God gives it to us as a possession, and I inflict an eruptive plague upon a house in the land that you possess, which sounds pretty gnarly. The owner of the house shall come and tell the priest saying, ah, something like a plague has appeared upon my house. So again, you see the role of the priest in sort of assessing what's going on here. The priest shall order the house cleared before the priest enters to examine the plague so that nothing in the house may become unclean. Uh, and after that, the priest shall enter to examine the house. So we all are familiar with quarantine protocols, so this should, should make sense to us. Um, and so then getting back into just like with a person in terms of getting a sense of what's going on, so too with the dwelling place. If when he examines the plague, it is greenish or reddish that goes deep into the wall, um, then the priest says, uh-oh, leper's house, and closes it up for seven days. After a week, the priest comes back. And if he sees that the plague has spread in the walls of the house, the priest shall order the stones with the plague in them to be pulled out and cast outside the city in an unclean place. So sort of like so, uh, dealing with Sarat House 2.0, right? Like if it wasn't initially enough to just sort of like seal it off, now you, you get in there, um, you take the stones out, you scrape the house all around, you scrape off the coating, um, and you get rid of much of that Sarat as possible. You replace the stones. Um, and- I just realized that this is a great way of connecting to Pesach. Maybe this is what I'll talk about tomorrow if I take it. It's a great, it's a great connector piece to, to how we clean our houses for Pesach and what, like, what are we actually getting rid of? Or you could talk about it right now in the partial. No, no, yeah, 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 thank you. Okay, good. Um, so that's kind of phase, we've done phase one of Leper's House, we've done phase two of Leper's House, and we're going to be diving into third time the charm, phase three of Leper's House. So the verses that we are looking more closely at, Leviticus chapter 14, verses 43, 44, 45. So this is round three. Ve'im yashuv hanega. If, if the blemish, right? In this case, we're not talking about a physical blemish on a person. We're talking about the, the blemish on the house. Im yashuv hanega. Ufarach babayit. And it, and it has spread out around the house. Achar chilet et After the stones have been pulled out. Ve'acharei hiktsot et habayit. Ve'acharei he uh, after the stones have been pulled out, after the house has been scraped and replastered. Uva HaKohen, the Kohen, the sort of protagonist in our story, comes on back. Vera'a, checks it out. Vihine Pasa Hanega Babayit. And behold, if the, the, the blemish, the translated here as plague, has spread in the house, Tzara'at Mam Eret He. It is a translated here as we'll just go with malignant eruption, which great name for rock and malignant eruptions. Um, if it is a malignant, it is now considered to be Sara'at Mam Eret. Also recognize that we can think about how we might translate that. Babait Tamehu. And so therefore the house is considered to be Tameh, however you want to translate, impure, unclean, unfit, etc. Venatat et abayit, and then you actually need to tear the house down. Et avanav, the et etzav, its stones and its timber. The et kol afar habayit, and all of the, translated here is coating uh, of the house, and, and the word is used uh, higher up, and it, and it can mean plaster, but um, like afar also means like dust. So it has this connotation of like every single, everything of the house needs to be 
uh, torn down. Lehotzi el Michutz Lair needs to be taken out of the city. Uh, el Makom Tamet, to, to like an, an unclean or an impure and unfit place, right? You got you to gotta get everything out um, in order to, to make sure um, that, that you're handling what needs to be handled. So um, two sort of quick framing thoughts on this. One of which is, like, I, I don't know, Rabbi Shouts, what you found in terms of Mepharshim. I have a lot of, like, big conceptual thoughts on this. I don't have a ton of Mepharshim, but I think there's some interesting stuff here. You have a lot of Mepharshim. You always have a lot of Mepharshim. Uh, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much to choose from, so. Well, you did want to talk about discharges, but here we are. Yes, yeah, that was I think it's interesting that this section starts off with the in yashuv, right? This, this verb of return. It, it also makes me think about, um, in the practice of tshuva, right? When you, when you have missed the mark, yeah. um, and you go to someone and if you apologize wholeheartedly, earnestly with intention three times and they still don't accept your apology, you have discharge your obligation to continue to apologize to that person. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I, I think that's implicit, right? Like I, I don't think, but it's, it's what came to mind to me because this is also the third time and it's a third time and it's a, and it's a full reset, right? It's like, if you haven't gotten rid of it twice, you, the third time, like this is sort of, this is sort of it. So I thought, I thought that that was interesting. Um, I wish that's, were you looking at the Talmud piece that connects this with Ben Sorera Murat? Did you see that? I did not actually. So um, this, might, this might shift the conversation in a slightly direction. In the Talmud, the rabbis say this never happened. Wait, the plague never happened, or Ben Sorer? They connect. So in um, later on in the Torah, I'll hop out of the screen share for a second. Later on in the Torah, there's this idea of the of the rebellious son who's supposed to be put to death, right? Which for some of us on the call would not have. Uh, been a great policy during our adolescence. Um, so there's this idea of how the rebellious son is supposed to actually be put to death. Um, and the rabbis, of course, narrow and narrow and narrow that to the point that in the Talmud, they talk about how the the rebellious son, actually, that that never even happened. It's so, so, so unlikely, but the Torah actually meant, quote unquote, um, that that never even happened and connected to that piece in the Talmud are a couple of other examples for something that quote unquote never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of a leper's house is considered to be one of them, which is just an interesting framework to think about a, on the one hand, because like, well, I don't know about you guys. I've seen mold. I've never seen leprosy in a house, but also in terms of thinking about like, okay, one, if it never happened, why is it in there? Or two, right. And the rabbis talk about this. It's in there to sort of like, learn it for its own merit and to try to understand it. But I do think that there's something interesting to think about going back to the first thing I said in terms of um, how do you know when you need to start over? Um, at what point, how, like how deep do you need to go to address something? I think there's, there's interesting pieces there. That's what I got. And the White Sox are still okay. doing nothing. Okay. Um, Rabbi Shapiro and the White Sox gives me anxiety. So we're not going to actually talk about the White Sox. Um, but uh, but I appreciate that they it's are. Not pl- it's not playoff time yet, so I'm I'm calmer. That was just the playoffs. Okay. Um, okay. Any kushiot? Any good textual questions on these three verses? Yes, Tybal. Um, it's not a kushiot, but I can't resist because you know I think your voice is so extraordinary <laughs> that 
the reason why the rabbis decided the rebellious son would never happen is because the mother and father have to speak in a single voice, even the same pitch and tone, which clearly isn't possible if one is male and one is female because they're the parents. It's just a voice thing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that, that is a really beautiful, I mean, I'm glad that Ben Sorara Moran didn't happen, period, but that is a really nice, um, a really nice reason to imagine that it could not have happened. Um, yeah, Mike and then Renee. Yeah, I don't know what, uh, whether it means that it's, um, that whether it never happened, but the, the point is, I guess, uh, I, I think I was reading something that Rabbi Sachs wrote about this Parsha and he uh-huh. talked about how sort of uh, uh, how uh, destabilizing, I guess, the whole mm-hmm. concept of Lashon Hara is mm-hmm. to a community. And so mm-hmm. the idea that if there was any sort of sense of it, I think he used I think he used shame and guilt. So this is what I would uh, ask my kushiot is, yeah. does this sort of have to do with um, the effect uh, of of uh, Tassara on the community and how, how that can affect things? Great. It's a great, great question. And, and definitely one that when we're talking about Lashon Hara gets even, gets fleshed out even, even more um, as, as maybe, excuse me, the metaphor for, um, for Sarad. Sorry, that came out of nowhere. Um, Renee. I'm just curious. If I mean, they're talking about it's the plague, but I, does it, do they, they're not really mentioning which, what plague, right? Do we oh, know Sarad. what plague? Sarad is the plague. The what? Sarat is the plague. Oh, okay. That was already specified? That's just what they what they call it. Like, instead of calling it, like, a disease, they call it a plague. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Um, but it is interesting. I think that's what actually made me think of Passover first, was the idea that, you know, when we talk about, like, the plague of blood and how it made all the water for the Egyptians into blood, but not for the Hebrews. And then, um, Svardea, right? The frogs were only in the Egyptians' homes, but they were really in the homes, not just kind of on the floor. But that's kind of what this made me think of. So maybe you'll hear more about this at Beitenu because I have, I think I have a thing going. Um, okay. Uh, any other kushiot? All right. And also everyone should come to Beitenu because Elon Spar is reading half Torah and it's been a long time and we're very excited. Um, so yes, hi, well. Um, I, sorry for the no. slow, uh, slow old person processing delay. But, um, when did the rabbis decide that to change one's luck, one needed to change one's physical geography? Yeah. Because, because yeah. What made me think about that is I was off on this thing a little bit. Rabbi Shapiro said mold and I was thinking about that, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, that house could be a symbol in rabbinic interpretation for just where you are. Sure. And that might have led to, but I didn't know when the rabbis came up with how to change your mazel is just to move your physical being. Yeah, great. So the, the phrase that Taibo is referring to is Mishanem Mazam, Mishanem Makom. And speaking of Beitenu, that was actually the tagline for Beitenu during COVID that uh, Rabbi Warshawski used. Mishanem Makom, Mishanem Mazal, I think. Isn't that what I said? No, you did the other way. Oh, sorry. Um, at least all the words were there. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe because if you switch the phrase, the same thing happens. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, very good. Uh, but it is, it is a very interesting, uh, an interesting way of thinking about Sarat because if you just moved to a different home, did it move with you? Uh, right? Was it because of you that your house was then infected with this plague? Or was it really the house now that it had kind of become outside of you, uh, to, to infect the home? Um, this has, this this is not a comparison I've ever heard before, but you know, when you buy a home, which I've never done, but I have a grandfather and a father who worked in real estate. Um, I know that you have one of the things that you end up having to claim, or if you're the person buying the home that you have to ask about is if someone has died in the home, right? That, 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 that literally affects the value of the home. And it's interesting because it's actually in LA, I don't know about LA or California, whatever it is, but it's the people selling it are legally obligated to report it. It's not even that you have to That's ask. That's what I said. Okay. What did you think I said? I thought you said you have to ask. And I'm saying, like, you don't even have to ask. Like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Yes, yes. Right. It has to be reported. And then, and then the, per, uh, the people who are selling the home have to report it. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting way of also thinking about this Sarah piece, because is it that the home is really the thing that is now taking that on and not the person? And what does that do to the person, right? Does the, is the person just kind of absolved of um, whatever whatever caused the Sarah to come to their home to begin with? So just an interesting, uh, interesting way of thinking about it. Um, Roger, do you want to add any texts or do you want me to add a commentary? What, how do you want to? I always defer to you, Rabbi Shots. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> that's lovely. So uh, let me just get my source sheet. Give me one second. My Safari has been abnormally slow lately, so just give me an extra second to open this here. Um, so one of the things that I was particularly interested in, similar to last week, actually, was this idea that, you know, if you're living in a home and it's it has contracted Sarad, it's pretty obvious, but yet the, the, the Kohen still needs to come in. Um, and so I have it here. I'm going to share my screen. Oh, that is so weird. It didn't copy. Okay, well, I'll start with a different commentary then. I am still very interested in that. And while Rabbi Shapiro shares something else, um, I will go searching for that. I'm not sure why I didn't copy. But here is a different commentary on the Ve'im Yashuv uh, piece here. And this is Rashi. One of the, um, as, as I think Rabbi Shapiro mentioned before, like one of the very interesting uh, aspects of this is that it can return. Uh, and so if it returns and then it breaks out into the house, what does that mean? Is it breaking out in the same place? Is it breaking out in different places, et cetera? So um, here is Rashi's statement. So uh, if it, you, you could think that if it comes back on the same day, that the house will be unclean. Interesting that it says the house and not the person, right? If if the Sarah comes back, that the person wouldn't necessarily be unclean. I guess maybe that's um, maybe that's implied. Um, sorry, let me just move you all. Um, okay, so in verse forty-four, it says Vishava Kohen, and the Kohen uh, returned, and then uh, and then it says, but in our in our verse, Ve'im Yashuv, and if the plague returns, so interesting that what they're saying with the Vishava Kohen is that there is the return of the of the priest, but then there's also the return of the plague. 
which is, a, there's a lot of returning happening here, but it seems as though if the plague returns, then the priest returns. Uh, so, um, what's the, what does it mean? What's this case of return, um, that, that we're talking about in, in that, in that location? It's the end of a week, right? So if a week has passed and it comes back, and then it goes on to say that, that this is the same as returning um, when in a part of Midrash when we're talking about um, returning at the end of a week. So the, the thing for me that caught my eye of this Ve'im Yashuv is that there is, there is the potential for it to happen again. It's not just, oh, one and done, right? It's similar to how people are somewhat thinking about COVID. Like, oh, I had COVID, so I can't get COVID again. Well, you you can, and people do, and it will happen, uh, and it affects your whole whole home. Um, but but the that sarat could be something that you could contract, and then you could get it again. It's it doesn't go away. My kushia on that would be: What do you have to do for it to come back? Right? Do you have to speak more lashon hara? Is the lashon hara that you spoke before enough to contract it over and over again? So that's my that's my kushia on this that I don't have an answer for. But um, yeah, Mike. Well, was there some like feeling among the sages back then that somehow uh, what people said in the past could just be spread? I mean, in other words, just like if a person. Um, dies, you have to re- uh, report it. You know, you're required to report yeah. that. But I mean, that somehow it it contaminated the whole space, you know, and yeah. therefore the, the priest had to return and make this assessment. Is that just part of the, what what was believed at the time that we have to just accept that? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're going to continue to make the COVID connections, right, this would be like testing testing to, to leave, right? Testing to leave quarantine, um, right? This idea of, except for the test is the Cohen coming to your home. So I, I guess, I don't, I don't mean, I, I don't really know because it seems to me that the question here is how does it return? Why does it return? And then what's the protocol once it returns? Like, do you know enough once it's happened the first time to not need as much, um, I don't know, protocol, for whatever turns the second. Well, you know, when if using your COVID comparison, in other yeah. words, like if you, if if Pat and I are in here, and then we're going to visit somebody in 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 the family, like we're doing next week, we're talking about, especially if 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 uh, the person is immunocompromised or, yeah. or something, that we should test preemptively sure. to make sure that we're not going to expose that person. Sure. 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 Yeah. Uh, Elon. If I were living at the time, it, well, first of all, let me say that in the Torah, the greatest nudge seems to be the priest. So just oh, the okay. threat of the priest showing up at my house would change my behavior. It's like, I do not want this guy showing up in my house. He's yeah. a major nudge. So that, that, <laughs> that, I think that in itself acts as a preventative. Yeah. That's very funny. Um, what, what? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I think I think that COVID comparison is good as far as it goes. I mean, I, it's the most obvious one because, well, when, when you think about disease today, you think about COVID. 
Um, or chicken pox. I mean, chicken pox is another example you could use. Just something that's like easily contractable. Right. But, but again, like, and this is where my head goes on this. Like, I don't see Tarat as a physical, like when, this is how I read it. Right. But when yeah. I see Tarat in the Torah, it seems to be indicating something to me that's not just about a, a physical thing that's happening, right? Like yeah. I was referencing that as well, right? Often understood by the rabbis, something like that. And and what, I mean, I brought up the tshuva comparison, like that that sort of um, cross-rabbinic you know, link in my head with the, with the tshuva piece. What it makes me think in reading about this is, is sometimes when there's something that's impacting my behavior, I'm able to sort of pinpoint it quickly and address it mm-hmm. and sometimes when there's something going on I need to go a little bit deeper and swap some stuff out and then I can address it and sometimes you gotta tear the whole thing down yeah right yeah. like that as that as a construct for me in terms of you know contrary to, to how I spend a lot of my time still not an epidemiologist right so I, I I don't know how well that parallel does or doesn't hold in terms of infectious disease although mm-hmm. the concept of you know, being careful if things seem to be more severe, of course, makes sense. Mm-hmm. But on more of that sort of behavioral level of trying to discern how deep you have to go to uproot a pattern of behavior, um, that definitely makes intuitive sense to me, right? Like if, if Tara'at is, is indicative of, you know, what we can go with like full of Shon Hara comparison. Okay, well, oh, I'm doing that. I shouldn't be doing that. Right. Sometimes that's good enough. But oftentimes it's not, right? Usually there's there's a deeper something that needs to happen. And I, and I kind of, actually, I'm, I'm with you as well, Rabbi Schatz. I have never thought particularly deeply about um, the language of it, but it's actually pretty evocative. Like it's, it's um, in the midst, midst of some very technical, sacrificial, biological stuff. But because I think of like the physicality of thinking about the st- stones and the planks and the plaster right like I can actually kind of envision what what that similar to pre-passover cleaning like you're saying entails like really getting into the mix in terms of okay how how deep do I have to go to address what's going on here I think is well and I and and also to to not give too much away if I do talk about this tomorrow, but what you could just talk about it now since we're doing a partial. Well, one of the things I'm thinking about, I know, thanks for bringing this Torah because now I'm thinking about it. Um, the, one of the things that I think is actually so connected is that Hamates for some people feels like such a scary thing to have to deal with right before Passover and during Passover, right? People throw away very good food because they're worried about having an open bag of bread in their home, right? If we just think for an extra second about what you could do with that open bag of bread that wouldn't be wasteful, you could give it to someone who's hungry, you could put it in a freezer that you're selling, right? There's there's many different ways of having perfectly good food in your home, and yet present company included, I try to get through everything that's open before Passover starts because it just makes me we're feel same. better. We're, we're, doing the same, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, so you eat like the random, this week right, you eat the most random things for totally random meals. stuff. So, so what, I, what I was going to get at with it in terms of Sarat is that we don't actually know that Sarat was 
deadly or really that gross. I mean, sounds like there were lots of oozing things, so maybe it was gross, but really that terrible. But we do know that it affected a person in such a way that they really had to think about their entire surroundings and they had to figure out how to clean their house and hopefully also how to clean out their their personality, right? How to deal with that Lashon Harapi. So I don't know. I think that's the the debut album from the malignant eruptions, cleaning out your personality, cleaning out your personality. That's the number one. That's the, that's the, um, what's the album? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's their lead single. That's the lead single. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. I'm I'll be here all week. Um, you won't be, but I will be. Um, anyway, so that's, that's where I'm going with that in my brain right now. Do you want, do you want to see that, that Talmud piece that talks about the things that have never existed? Um, sure. Sure. Well, I don't have to. Well, does it talk about, is Sarah one of those things? Yeah, that's what I'm oh, saying. Okay. Yeah, first. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm just going to bring, yes, yes. Flip through the Talmud at random. And... Yes, please show us or tell us. All right. So, so it's in Sanhedrin 71A. And this is where it's sort of like what, what Tybal was was saying, right, in terms of talking about, well, this this stubborn and rebellious son, what actually is that, right? If we're going to have something that the penalty is so severe for what this kid did, what is it? And gets into like this real narrowing, narrowing, narrowing of what it actually is to the point where it's like that that can't, it's, it's basically legislating something out of existence, essentially, right? And it's a, it, it is for me, by the way, one of the core examples and favorite things to talk about is Rabbi Schatz knows in terms of how we're rabbinic Jews, not, not Torah Jews, right? If we were Torah Jews, we would just find stubborn and rebellious sons and we kill them. That's obviously not what we do, right? Because we are Jews through the lens of the normative understanding of the rabbis. And this basically gets legislated out of existence, essentially. Like it's, it's, it's like this, this isn't a thing, right? We understand the core teaching to it, but we're going to say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to find a way to understand this so that we can have it as a part of our larger textual tapestry, but it's not something that's going to be like implemented all the time, if ever. Um, and so this Sogia talks about, right? And so Tybal, right? Here's what you're saying. If his mother was not identical to his father in voice, appearance, and height, he does not become a stubborn and rebellious son, right? Sort of rooted in, right? This, this Midrashic understanding, he will, he will not obey our voices, Right. And voices can only be plural if like the voices are the same. Sure. Rabbis. OK. Right. So then this opinion, there has never been a Ben Sorero Murat. There's never been a uh, stubborn and rebellious son. And then from there, um, the rabbis go on to list a couple of other examples of something that, quote unquote, has never happened before, like an idolatrous city. Right. An idolatrous city is also something that needs to be, interestingly enough, completely raised to the ground. Right. And have all of its inhabitants um, killed, which also, understandably, something that our rabbis might be uncomfortable with. Um, and so this idea that, oh, no, that's actually not a thing um, that has has ever existed. And interestingly here, it's it's sort of an echo of Abraham, right? God, Abraham negotiating with God about even for the sake of the 50, will you let the cities even for the sake of 40, 30, 10? Um, and according to the rabbis, a city that has even one mezuzah can't be an idolatrous city, which is very interesting. Um, I don't know if that gets poskined out that way, but 
that's what it says in the Talmud and Rabbi Schatz's day is now made because I said Paskin. Um, I think of if I've heard of it, Halachic. Yeah. I, I defer to our expert Halachist. Um, but so, and here's the third one, right? Uh, according to an old rabbinic text, the bright said there has never been a house afflicted with leprosy of the house and there will never be one in the future. So it's, it's these examples of things that one seem to frankly be sort of somewhat unlikely in terms of how they're constructed and also seem to be things that, that the rabbis like have a tough time with, right? So it's, it's interesting to me that this idea of the leprous house um, sort of gets gets lumped uh, into the category with those two other things. So I think that I think that's interesting. I think we could drash that out a couple of different ways, but I'll just sort of offer it up and see where we go from there. Yes, Tybal. Um, on the mezuzah, and I didn't remember that part. Did they then go off and say, and even if the mezuzah is not properly hung, and even if the scroll's not kosher, and even this and even that? So basically, they're saying. If someone even thinks about having a mezuzah, that counts. Yeah, um, like I said, I defer to our expert halachist, Rabbi. When it comes uh, to Ben Sorer and Moray, we we basically give the benefit of the doubt. So I, my assumption, I I don't know that mezuzah text specifically, but my assumption would be that yes, as long as there's some um, suffix, there's some doubt around having a mezuzah at all, or or getting to a place where you would hang a mezuzah at all, that that would be considered okay. But I, I don't know that for a fact. I don't know the text well enough um, around that particular sugya. Uh, Mike. <clears throat> what about the idea uh, about perhaps that we, we're not, just like the Pesach story doesn't include the whole, you know, it has, it has, uh, different pasuks, but then it doesn't make the connection all the time with, like, I'm going to, uh, God will lead you with an outstretched arm, but it doesn't completely make the connection and you, and will take you to the land of, of milk and honey. You know, that, that it's not all there We're, to reflect the idea that there are some things that we are not redeemed, you know, the, that the process is, is something that has to continue mm-hmm. that that we are never quite redeemed there's always something that we need to do to make ourselves to reset ourselves to yeah i, I think you might have muted. yeah there you go yeah i'm I, i'm sorry i don't know where that i put myself on mute by accident no it's okay yeah, so People try to mute me all the time. So. I, I know. I mean, yeah, it could have, it could have been Rabbi Shapiro that was muting me. That's po- that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, our Rabbi Shots. It was definitely not. Yeah. I was listening very intensely. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so the the idea that that we are never uh, yet redeemed, and 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 actually, you know, it might be important aspect of the Pesach story that we that we discuss this uh, that we have work to do. We yeah. have a lot of work to do all the time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think I would also, I, I think, well, I, would, I, I messaged this briefly to Rabbi Schatz. Um, in a fortuitous, odd, and wonderful uh, confluence of events, while teaching this class. Uh, about houses. What, what? About houses. About houses. 
Uh, Sarah and I are officially homeowners as of like 20 minutes ago. Um, so hopefully it won't be leprous. Um, you. What? That's up to you. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's now, now that that is officially a thing and I will literally be as soon as this zoom ends, uh, driving over to get the keys. So that's wild. Um, it's, uh, now that that's at stake, thinking about tearing down a dwelling all of a sudden seems like a much more serious thing. Uh, I wouldn't want that to happen. That sounds terrible. Um, so I think, again, this idea of, is there anything that could have been done to prevent it? Like, what what's really at stake here? And, you know, like Rabbi Schatz just said, is this something that is, like, is this a malady that sort of unfolds and you, you know, cross your fingers, close your eyes and hope for the best? Or is this something that the owners of the home or the residents of the home have some agency in trying to prevent? We don't get a lot on that. Yeah. Um, and, and the, and the Mepharshim, the commentators don't seem to give a lot on, of, a lot to us on that either. The, our, our rabbi seemed interested in like the, the sort of technical specifics of how you know what's happening. Um, and Rabbi says, I don't know if you saw differently. I, I was hoping to see more on like, what should the people who live there be doing to prevent it? And, and, and I didn't see a lot of that. And that feels kind of unsatisfying to me. Well, I think that we probably don't see a lot of that because I don't think they knew. Like the, the rabbis of the Talmud are the ones who discuss it being Lashon Hara. It's not the rabbis of the, I mean, not the rabbis. It's not the, it's not the Torah. Um, so it, I think it's, it's very possible that they just didn't know how to prevent it or that they didn't know what it was. And so it ended up being this thing that, that they, they would contract. And then again, I don't know that we hear about dying, but they would contract and then it would somehow spread. Um, This is a very random thing to share, but I was watching a show last night and, um, (laughs) and what show Rabbi Schatz Bridgerton and the, um, Oh, there's an, I, I really what yeah it's you know like a brainless thing to watch while doing other things it's not I don't have to pay that much attention so it's an easy show to watch while doing work um like preparing for this class uh just kidding I didn't do that at the same time but the the in one scene someone gets stung by a bee and because back in the day they didn't know what anaphylactic shock was the person dies and it just makes me think that, like... Spoiler alert! But I didn't tell you who, and it happens within the first five seconds of an episode. It's fine. Spoiler alert. Okay. Um, but the... Now I'm definitely not going to watch it. Okay. Um, but the way in which we talk about leprosy is is kind of the same, right? We we call it leprosy today. A, we don't know that Sarah was actually leprosy. Um, and B, we don't know that they knew what to do about leprosy. Um, so that's, you know, it's I, I think to get back to your point, Rabbi Shapiro, of like, why doesn't it say what the people in the house should be doing? I think they just didn't, they didn't know. They just, yeah. they lived their lives. Yeah. Similar to like when we were all wearing, actually I never did this, but like when we were all wearing gloves and face shields, and, but no masks because people thought that was, you know, the thing to do. Like, you know, we were trying to figure it out and now we think we know what we were supposed to do, but we might not even know now. What oh, we're the, oh, the days of, those halcyon days of wiping down groceries. Correct. Right. Right. Exactly. Anyway. That was 
Uh, thoughts from other people other than Ramesh Perona? <laughs> yeah, Tymo. Um, it's more good and welfare. Is that okay? Sure. It's been so, a couple of good and well- welfare. So, that's okay. so I teach on Fridays once a month at the same time. So I missed last Friday. So I did not get to hear how Renee's cake went over, the birthday cake of two weeks ago. I was just reminded because she's cooking or baking again. I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you. The cake came out. Yeah, the cake. You don't remember that delicious looking cake? The cake came out lovely. We had she was in the South, Rabbi Shapiro. Birthday. And Jackie. And Rabbi Schatz did a beautiful Uksharan ceremony for my grandson. He was so happy with it that he asked me the other day if she's coming back. Oh, that's very cute. You can tell him, yes, I will definitely come back and play with it. Yeah, very that's very cute. Yeah, Paula. So I had a question. The text says you have to, like, call the high priest. To yeah. Him, right? So so you you have to have the observation that there's something amiss. Right. And then you go and you get the high priest. So there's some period of time where you can, like, clean the house for company, you know, or arrange yeah. things. And I, I was just thinking about, like, like you have to like so believe in the system that you will call the high priest, you know, because something is no, you know, you're you're gonna have to go and do it. So there's this this whole thing about the timing and the trust yeah. that seems to. It's interesting that you. Interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because I I wrote one of the you know the table of five in the Jewish Journal. I'm one of the I'm one of the five this week. Um, okay. and and one of the one of the pieces that I spoke about was actually very similar to that, which was a person had to get themselves to the priest in a different part of this week's part, so not having to do with the house, but had to actually get themselves to the priest because no one could get near them. So they had to take it upon themselves to leave their home in basically quarantine to get to the priest for the priest to tell them that they have something that they wouldn't want to have anyway to then go back to their home and have to go through this process all over again. Um, And I brought a piece from the Gemara that talks about how um, we really need other people to help us get out of our own misery and our own pain that uh, I, that we can't get ourselves out of that. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of accountability and there's a lot of, if you want to say faith, and there's a lot of like communal responsibility also. But on the flip side of that, there's also communal fear of, well, we're not going to get near that person because we don't understand it and we don't want to get it. So it, it's kind of um, not chicken or egg, but it's it's a little bit of like a ripple effect where the person needs to take care of themselves so that the community is taken care of. But then the community should really be helping them care for themselves and can't because they're in quarantine. And how do we how do they deal with that? So, Rabbi Shapiro, newest homeowner on the block. Anything you want to say? Sure. Um, I just. You know, we've been talking about what Sara'at might or might not be. Full, full disclosure, I just stumbled upon this, but I think it's it's interesting to see in terms of thinking about not just what it might be in terms of infectious disease, but what how we might conceptualize what generates this. Mm-hmm. So this is out of Midrash Tanhuma, collection of Midrashim. So this is a rabbinic text, but it talks about what what Sara'at, what might generate Sara'at, like what might cause this in a way that's not just about epidemiology. Mm-hmm. 
So it could come from 11 things. Idolatry, desecrating God's name, unchastity, which is a very nice way of saying doing doing naughty things, Uh, theft, slander. So slander, so it's one of them, right? But not the only one. False witness upon a judge who perverts justice, Hmm. swearing in vain. Um, And this is interesting. Entering a domain which is not his, I, I think that's more... Um, like in a, in a ritual context, but it's still interesting. Um, and here's here's a tough one. One who thinks false thoughts. We're all in big trouble. Um, and one who instigates quarrels among brothers and also hmm. for for the evil eye. So I think by this list, we all have. You've done that to me. We, we all will have Sarah pretty soon. Um, yes, hello. Yes, hello. Rabbi, Rabbi Rebecca Schatz's phone. How may I direct your call? Can I answer, please? No. No? I hung up on them. All right. Um, but I think it's just interesting to see. I mean, that's a pretty expansive list, um, which, you know, we, t- we talk a lot in this class about how you don't legislate out of nothing, right? You, you, you don't have a rule unless there's a reason for the rule to be there, right? The speed limit on the highway, speed limit wouldn't be 55 unless people wanted to drive 80, right? And so on the one hand, Sarat seems to be something that like, that's so weird. Who would ever have that? That can't be a thing. Maybe with that rabbinic understanding, Sarat, whether real or perceived or whatever it might be, um, actually kind of showed up and we're trying to make sense of this and how we would need to navigate it. Now, then that text about there never was a leprous house, maybe it's a sense that there was never a house that was so infected that it had to be torn down, is I think mm-hmm. what that's saying. But the way in which these transgressions show up might have consequences. And Paula put a, a wise comment in the chat that it's both it's both personal and public, right? Although I would I would also say a lot of this stuff um, are are probably only things that you would really know about. Right. Only only you know some of these things. And so then it's a question of, okay, well, if you've done these things, and, and I, w- I would maybe even invert that a little bit, Paula, a lot of these things are things that are within oneself that then emanate outwards, right? Something that I'm doing that, that reverberates out into the community. That impacts the community. Exactly. So then it's interesting you think about Sarat on me and then Sarat in my house and then how to like prevent that from further spread. Yeah. Right, so maybe it's interesting as well to think about this idea that the actions I take impact me, and if I keep doing them, they're going to impact my house, and hopefully, I mean that's what the rabbi is saying. That's where it stops, but but we're going to notice it at some point, which again then sort of gets to like my my lingering question on this, which is like, what's the experience of the person living in the tzara'at house, and how do they address whatever they need to address so that it doesn't permeate it too much so maybe it's sort of like a weirdly optimistic drosh that like it can get bad but not too too bad right we all we always manage to stave it off in time that we don't need to destroy the whole house um but it's an interesting list it's an interesting list to look at yeah mike you know um i i'm just remembering what you said last night uh rabbi you know about whatever you have in your mind at the at the Haggadah slam, yeah. whatever you have in your mind could be idolatrous, you know, depending on what you're thinking right. about. 
Right. And, and, and also what you said at the end where you related the, well, first of all, Rabbi, uh, in some of the, uh, in the, some of the sheet, uh, source sheets, Rabbi Schatz and, and Jackie talked about matz, uh, the broken matzah, uh, as a reminder of the, of our human limitations. And then you sort of brought it home at the end with the, Bow about the children, you know, bringing that we're sort of eating our dinner in the wilderness. And then it's the, it's the kid, uh, it's the kids. Who do we trust to, to bring other half? And, uh, I don't know. You, you could even read it again or it was so, it, it just got me thinking. It's, uh, it, it's such a powerful way to look at the Seder, you know, and, and, and how we do this. Yeah. Um, well, that's a great, that was a great vote. Um, uh, that was something I said, Rabbi Shapiro. Mike was quoting me, not you, so you don't have to remember. Yeah. Why would, um, why, why would anyone quote anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just didn't want you to think that you didn't remember something you I was did. like, I don't think I remember. I said that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I mean, let me just. Uh, let me quote Rabbi Shapiro. No, okay. no, no. You don't have to do that. Oh no, you don't have to, to quote me. Um, Tybal, has something to say. No, oh yeah, Tybal. So I was in some other class. I don't even remember where, and I started saying, "Well, if you're going to put a bow on it." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then I remembered that that was the wrong, you know, not a cultural illusion that would be understood anywhere outside of Rabbi Shapiro. Yes. This is a thing. It's a figure of speech that people use. This isn't just a me thing, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, I look the best in it, but correct. Uh, all right. So I' very happy to be done with these partio, but also. <laughs> Very glad, very glad that we got to go through them. Uh, sometimes they're together, right? Sometimes Tazri and Matsura are together. And I think that it's um, really nice to be able to separate them out and see the differences in the two parshiot, um, even if it keeps us in the topic a little bit longer. But I hope that, um, I hope that you're able to, to really think about this in a metaphor for your lives. Like what, what is the Sarat, you know, that, that is, taking over your homes, taking over your life um, that you are trying to get rid of? And who are those people that are helping you figure that out? Because uh, I think that ultimately, like if we took it out of the context of the Parsha, that ultimately is what we're trying to understand as a lesson, which is we can, based on behavior, we can contract things that affect us and affect those around us and that we need the people around us to be able to, to help us figure it out. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.